the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome back or welcome to Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935 with your question about the Bible, with your question about a difficult passage, with your question about, well, what's going on in the news. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. I was thinking about saving this question for Tough Question Tuesday, which is tomorrow, but I think we're going to talk about it today. And, of course, the tough question is one that has been contemplated over the years, and that is, if God is a God of love, why hasn't he dealt with the problem of evil? And I think that part of my answer would be, oddly enough, well, God is a God of love, and he has dealt with the problem of evil but perhaps he hasn't dealt with it in the way that you would like or in the timing that you would embrace. In other words, God continues to deal with the problem of evil in the person of Jesus Christ and in the gospel. In Dr. Robert Morey's book, The New Atheism and the Erosion of Freedom, he talks with an atheist about this very issue. The atheist assumes that everything is relative, and there are no absolutes. He's absolutely sure of that, by the way. Maury then replies that the first thing that an atheist has to do, or at least try to prove, is the existence of evil. Now, again, from a definitional standpoint, you have to ask and answer the question, what is evil exactly? Doesn't evil require the presence of good. And so the atheist perhaps is left with a conundrum. Why is there anything good? So by what process can an atheist identify evil? He has to have a universal absolute to do that. And without an absolute reference point for good, which, according to Dr. Robert Morey, only God can provide. So it, it it creates a kind of a conundrum. On what basis is there such a thing as good? How does goodness itself exist? And you'll remember Jesus was approached by someone in the New Testament, and he was asked the question, what must I do? He says, good master, what must I do to to inherit eternal life. And remember Jesus' famous words, why do you call me good? There's none good except God. 
So if that's true, goodness, goodness has to be defined by God. Without the existence of God, there is no such thing as evil or good in an absolute sense. And then, again, you would default to this issue of relativism. The problem of evil, by the way, doesn't negate the existence of God. It actually requires it. So many people assume that because evil still exists today, God hasn't dealt with it. So how can atheists assume that God has not already solved the problem of evil in such a way that neither his goodness nor omnipotence is limited? On what grounds do they limit what God can and cannot do in order to solve the problem? God has solved the problem of evil, and he did it in a way which didn't contradict his nature or the nature of man. We assume God will solve the problem of evil in one single act, but why can't he deal with evil in a progressive way over history itself? Can he deal with it throughout the time as we know it and then bring it to a climax on the day of judgment? And see, that seems to be what the Bible is teaching. That evil will, in fact, be permanently dealt with. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Jimmy, welcome to the program. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, I, I had here. I was listening to what you were speaking about, and I've noticed a lot of people that I, I associate with, which is not a lot of friends, but I mean relatives and stuff. Is some of the questions that come out of their uh, their thoughts were. Well, why isn't God doing this for me, or why isn't God doing that for me, or why doesn't He take care of this? Well, you know, I pray every night that God heal me because I have some issues, sure, medical issues for a long time. But then I come to the realization that, you know, God does things on His terms, not my terms. And to get up every morning and thank Him that I'm here, another day is more blessing and more healing than any person on this earth could ever give me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think people are just not seeing the whole picture of it. They're just looking at their own point in time like, well, why isn't he doing this for me? And see, someone cleverly said, God doesn't have a point of view. He only has points to view. I see things from my perspective. I see things based on a lot of different things, my culture, my language, a lot of different things. But in Psalm 34, 19, the Bible says, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him, delivers him from them all. In other words, um, we have troubles but the Lord is going to deal with them. He's going to deal with them on his terms, according to his goodness. In 2 Corinthians 1.5, it says, Just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And so there's this, you, you, you talk about 
you know, <laughs> that strange song, I beg your pardon, but I never promised you a rose garden along with the sunshine. There's got to be a little rain sometime, yes. you know, and, and so you're exactly right. It's a, it's either a willingness or an unwillingness to look at the whole picture. Yeah. And I do, you know, he, he has blessed me tremendously in things that I needed to take care of, of my uh, physical ailments. He's given me the funds to do that. He's given me the people to come into my life to take care of that for me. And I look at it all as a whole, not just the one that's why God isn't doing this. I mean, it is it is a blessing if you open your eyes and just open your heart and you can see it all. And even even if for whatever reason, let's just say for purposes of discussion, we perish from whatever it is that we have. The Bible says that the outward person is perishing, but the inward person is being renewed day by day. Jimmy, we're all going to die from something. The Bible says it's appointed once for a person to die, then the judgment. But what's interesting is Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Hey, Jimmy, thank you so much for your call. You're welcome. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. We were talking a little bit about the problem of evil and why a god a loving God, according to the criticism, hasn't dealt with evil. But again, the number is 303-873-1935. I think that one of the ways that we think about it is that, again, God sent his son to die on the cross in order to solve the problem of evil. Jesus atones for sin and evil. And so he secures the eventual removal of all evil from the earth. Now, people will say, if God is a God of love, why hasn't he dealt with evil? Well, that means he would have had to have dealt with you. In other words, if you go, I want all evil to cease to exist, then you would cease to exist. You would cease to exist. But rather than cease to exist, God has a different plan. He wants to save people. One day, evil will be quarantined in one spot. The Bible refers to this place as that place of permanent judgment. It's called hell. Then there's going to be a perfect world devoid of all evil. In other words, once hell is fully furnished, (laughs) then evil will be successfully quarantined. If God declared that all evil would at this very moment cease to exist, then none of us would be talking about Ukraine and Russia. 
Because you and I and all of humanity would literally disappear. And so this is what the Bible teaches. It teaches that sin has to be punished. You know, I was talking about this um, last Sunday from Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, it talks about the fact that God must of necessity deal with the problem of sin. But God's anger and God's wrath towards sin isn't divorced from his love. In in other words, to truly understand God's wrath, you have to understand God's love. So 303-873-1935, we're getting into Tough Question Tuesday territory, but I'm happy to do that. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And again, easy to do. You just simply pick up the phone, you dial the number, and if you've ever wanted to call in, now would be a good time to do that. 303-873-1935. So, again, that question. What is the biblical understanding of the wrath of God? And wrath is often defined as the emotional response to perceived wrong and injustice. Sometimes it's translated anger, indignation, vexation, irritation. Human beings get angry, and so does God. But the way that I would think about it is God never gets angry the the way human beings do. That means clouded by sin and imperfection. God's anger is also informed by God's perfect perspective and God's love. So there's a vast difference between the wrath of God and the wrath of human beings because God's wrath is always holy, it's always justified, And we could make an argument that man's wrath is rarely, maybe even never holy. Rarely, maybe, maybe only rarely justified. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Is it Lourdes? Is it Lourdes? Yes, it is Lourdes. Lourdes, welcome. Gracias. Uh, My question is, you know, are we going to be able to recognize uh, um, each other once we go to heaven? Yeah, Um, this is a great question. And one of my favorite (laughs) persons who was asked this question was called the Prince of Preachers. His, okay. his his name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and I mm-hmm. love his answer. He's, when he was asked the question, he said, 
do you think we're going to be more stupid in heaven than we are on the earth? Now, I hope not. Again, that's that's the quick answer, but I think the biblical answer is found in two places, really. I mean, there's several places to think about, but my favorite place is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, where it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And and so, in other words, there's a recognizability. The other thing that I think about is the story in the New Testament about the transfiguration. You'll remember mm-hmm. that there, Jesus is met by Moses, And then he's met by Elijah. And you'll remember Moses and Elijah begin uh, having a conversation with Jesus. And Mm -hmm. the disciples looking on recognize that it's Moses and Elijah. So this uh, leads me to my second question, or part of the same question. If they were able to um, recognize them, and actually Elijah and Moses were having a conversation with Jesus, that means that we are going to have also memory of what we did here on earth. And if that's so, are we also going to have memory of the, the wrong Deeds that we did, or or people who did did us wrong. Well, I think that we will have a memory, and, but I think that what will happen is that we that our memories are going to be again perfectly informed by our redemptive bodies and minds. In other words, the way that I would think about it is, remember the Bible says, we will be like him, and in a very real sense, we'll be like Jesus. Does Jesus have memory of everything that occurred during his earthly life? Uh, as a, Remember, Jesus is, uh, is God who acquires a second nature, a human nature. Does Jesus in heaven remember everything that happened on the earth? And I yes. think I and I think that the answer is yes. So in so we will be like him. And I think that that means that we will have the capability of understanding and remembering. Okay, so um I'm going to be able then to recognize my son who died at a very 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 early age, like months? Right. And I think that the answer is yes. And let me tell you what I mean by that. I think that your son is going to be in his perfect body Mm -hmm. that's mature. In other words, just like you're going to be, you're going to be the Lourdes that's the perfect Lourdes. In other words, whatever that day when you are fully mature... That's you. That's you in heaven for eternity. Not old, not young, perfect, mature. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm guessing I'm live on the air right at this very moment, 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the air. What a great question about memory in heaven. 
will we remember our lives on the earth? And by the way, um, we have a wonderful, wonderful article on this very subject that got questions. Got questions, your questions, biblical answers. Many of you know that um, I am a part of Got Questions. I love Got Questions. I'm on their board of directors. Got Questions is the largest Bible answer ministry in the world. And if you have a question, um, you, you might think, I want, I can't wait to call Gino at 303-873-1935 and ask a question. Well, guess what? You don't have to wait for me to be on the radio to ask the question. There are literally not just hundreds, not just thousands, but tens of thousands of Bible questions that have been asked and answered at gotquestions.org. And that, that question that we just brought up, will we remember our earthly lives when we're in heaven? Lord, as I, I, I would refer you to that article. In Isaiah 66, excuse me, Isaiah 65, verse 17, it says, quote, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Some interpret Isaiah sixty-five seventeen as saying that we're going to have no memory of our earthly lives in heaven. However, one verse earlier in Isaiah sixty-five sixteen, the Bible says, quote, For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. It's likely our past troubles will be forgotten, not all of our memories, our memories will eventually be cleansed and redeemed and healed and restored, but not erased. There's no question why we should not or could not possess many memories of our earthly lives. The memories will be cleansed are the ones that involved sin and pain and sadness. In Revelation 21, 14, it says, He will wipe away Every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away, unquote. 303-873-1935. So glad you're calling me with your questions. Let's see who's up. Susan, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Uh I have often heard about um, purgatory, uh-huh. uh, and I'm wondering where in the Bible it might be, and, you know, if I, I, I have yet to understand the full meaning of it, um, if it's someone who's unclean to go to heaven, or, um, well, let, you know, let, where, let, where it says that in the Bible. Well, let, let's... Talk about that for just a second, because there's a couple of ways to answer your question. The first way is to to answer it according to the Catholic belief system in Roman Catholicism. And so in Roman Catholicism, according to the Roman Catholic Encyclopedia, purgatory is a place or condition of temporal punishment for those who, departing this life in God's grace, are not entirely free from venial faults. Now, you, you as a Catholic understand the difference between mortal sin and venial sin. Yes. 
Remember, mortal sin is the kind that kills your soul. Venial sin is the kind that just sort of pollutes you, but doesn't kill you. Now, let me help you with that, because there's two ways to think about it. The first way is that in Roman Catholic teaching, in their view, whatever purgatory is, it's a place of purgation where you are cleansed. If, if you were talking with your priest or with a bishop or even the pope, they would tell you that everyone in purgatory is saved because they're going to eventually leave, but it might take some people more time than others. So the bad news is it's nowhere in the Bible. And the reason it's not bad news, it's just there's nowhere in the Bible that that's what it says. Because I'm going to suggest to you that it doesn't exist and that our Roman Catholic friends have gotten it wrong. And the reason why I'm going to suggest that to you is because of Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which is in the Bible, where it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment uh, that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds were healed in the sense that if Jesus' death on the cross isn't a sufficient satisfaction for all of your sin— that, so that's the big that's the big divide between Catholics and Protestants. The Protestants say, "What if Jesus's death on the cross is sufficient and satisfying to deal with all of our sin?" Now, in all fairness to our Catholic friends, they'll suggest that First Corinthians chapter three verse fifteen, which says, "If it is burned up, he will suffer loss; he himself will be saved, but not, but only as one escaping through the flames." That passage in First Corinthians chapter three verses twelve through sixteen, it's using an illustration of things going through fire as a description of the believer's works being judged. If our works are of good quality, gold, silver, costly stones, they pass through the fire unharmed, but we're going to be rewarded. If our works are poor, wood, hay, straw, stubble in one translation, they'll be consumed by fire. There will be no reward. So the passage doesn't say that believers pass through a fire, but rather the believers' works pass through the fire. So I think it's inappropriate, at least from my view, when um, it's cited as a scripture to suggest that we go through the flames. Now, so in per Purgatory, like a, a lot of different Roman Catholic doc, dogmas, I think is based on a misunderstanding of the nature of the work of Jesus on the cross. Okay. okay. So. And, and see, another interpretation would be to, as you would say, come, come out of the fire, if, if I'm using the right term. And I was thinking that was based on their faith in God, not well, so much their works, but well, and, and the, so, trueness, the trueness of their faith in God. Well, and, and so let's talk about that for a second. 
I'm going to suggest to you, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but I was sort of born, raised, and educated a Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. I, I went to a Catholic university. So I think I understand the Roman Catholic position on purgatory uh-huh. in the sense that, in their view, purgatory is understood by Catholics as a place of cleansing and preparation for heaven. So now let's just pause and think about that for a minute. Is that possible? Is there a place of cleansing in preparation for heaven? In order for that to be true, it would require that the sacrifice of Jesus be be insufficient to cleanse us, to declare us righteous, to forgive us, to redeem us, to reconcile us, and to sanctify us. And so that's the great big idea. The great big idea is... What if there is no such place as purgatory? And what if Jesus, what if Jesus really is sufficient to forgive you, to redeem you, to reconcile you, to make you holy? Is that even possible? Interesting. It is kind of interesting, isn't it? It is. Hey, but thank you so much for calling me. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And again, happy to take your calls about even these kinds of questions about, well, you know, one of the things we talk about is the historical Jesus, but we also talk about world religions, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or even Catholicism. And you might be thinking, so you believe that Roman Catholicism is a world religion. Well, yeah, I do, because it is. It is a world religion. And because it's a world religion, we have to put it in a different category than we would just simply, as we're talking about Christ and Christianity. So in what way, um, how do we think about it? And again, questions like, what was just asked, help us think about the, those differences. For um, So the very idea of purgatory and the doctrines or the teachings of the Catholic Church that are attached to it, like prayer for the dead, indulgences, meritorious works on behalf of the dead, what do all of those things have in common? They fail to recognize the sufficiency of the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. So that's the million-dollar question. Was the death of Jesus on the cross sufficient to pay for the penalty of all sins, all of our sins? Jesus, who was God incarnate, paid an infinite price for our sin. So in John 1, 1, you'll remember that very famous passage of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, it says, And the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
So, if this is true, Jesus, who is God, if he paid an infinite price for our sin, if the testimony of the scripture is true, that Jesus died for our sins, and this is exactly what Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, where he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance or chief importance, or at the top of the list of things that is most important to tell you, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it, it has that very difficult passage which says, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation is, is a word that describes the satisfying solution, or propitiation in this instance means the satisfaction. So here is the idea. The idea is that sin has caused injury and offense. In other words, sin isn't just simply sin. It doesn't just simply happen in the sense that it causes no harm. According to the Bible, the person who is most offended by sin is God. So I want you to just think about this for just a moment. The Bible teaches that Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary satisfies God, who's offended by your sin, who's offended by all of your sin. And so when it says he's the propitiation, that means the satisfying solution. We might even think of it as... The payment. Uh, What comes to my mind is insurance. Have you ever heard of a person who got injured in a car injury and the courts awarded a person uh, money for pain and suffering? Well, if you can imagine sin causing pain and suffering, sin offending God, the death of Jesus satisfies sin's offense. So to limit the sacrifice of Jesus to simply atoning for original sin or sins committed before you're saved or to sins that you know about after you're saved but repent of, if you limit the sacrifice of Jesus for anything other than total satisfaction, then then we fall short of what the Bible teaches. That's why the Bible says it's such an important issue. If we must, in order to be saved pay for, atone for, suffer for, provide for our sins, 
then Jesus' death on the cross becomes less than perfect, less than complete, less than sufficient. And so, the Bible says, for believers, after death, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and be, be at home with the Lord. In, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, it says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because Paul doesn't anticipate going to a place of purgation or cleansing. But the Bible teaches something entirely different, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you should notice that this does not say away from the body, in purgatory, with cleansing fire. No, because of the perfection, the completion, and the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are immediately in the presence of of the Lord after death, cleansed, free from sin, glorified, perfected, and ultimately sanctified. And so, I would invite you to just think about this. A couple of questions before we go. Are you a sinner? Well, if the the answer is yes, the second question is, do you want forgiveness of your sins? If the answer is yes... Then the third question is, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead? Do you believe that? And if the answer is yes, are you willing? Are you willing to surrender your life to Jesus? Are you willing and ready to invite Jesus into your heart and into your life? You might want to pray a simple prayer. And say something like, Heavenly Father, I've sinned against you. I want forgiveness for all my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. And Heavenly Father, I give you my life to do with it as you want to do with it. What you wish, I want Jesus to come into my life and into my heart. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Guess what? That's how you extend the invitation. And if you prayed that prayer, I hope, I hope, I hope that you call me. This is Gina Tracy. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.